The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On the roundtable this morning, Dave Trafford is here, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario Politics Podcast, and a bunch of other things. I saw you at the uh, Remembrance Day services last Friday, Dave Trafford, and Mm -hmm. you've been doing a special series that you're going to continue all about Canada's uh, Royal Air Force. Yeah, we're hoping to uh, to do that, but in the meantime, we've got uh, four episodes in our Now and Next feed, so if you want to check it out, uh, particularly that uh, episode about William Barker, and that's the uh, the monument where you laid the wreath there last week. Um, it's a fascinating story. Yeah, and that's hilarious, actually. I didn't mention on the air yet that um, I was laying the wreath with John Wright's wife, Jennifer, and we were introduced as members of the, Bar- uh, the Barker family. So now everybody thinks I'm descended <laughs> from Canada's most decorated officer. And that's incorrect. It is incorrect. I'm right. descended from other people, some notable, most not. Courtney Betty Decorated for Law. other things? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Agar. Can I make here. a request? Yes. Okay, because Donnie and I are having trouble today putting together a full show. Really? So if one of you could just say something so outrageous that I could play it back later and discuss, <laughs> that would be really helpful. Do you support the Liberals, Jerry? Uh, I'll, I'll work on that for you, Jerry. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, we have to start out talking about this Sunday deadline at 5 p.m., but I've gone kind of light on the story today because I don't know if there's any analysis to be shared, but Jerry Agar, 5 p.m. is the absolute deadline for where they'll announce whether or not there's school on Monday. I think that's a little late, but I guess that's to give negotiations a chance. It should be 5 o'clock today, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, I think that it's a, it's a, an insult to parents to say, just hang in there and we'll let you know at the last moment. I mean, that's, have a little respect for the parents here. Okay, Courtney, Betty, 5 o'clock. I have a feeling either the whole thing falls apart earlier or they arrive at a deal so we're not going to have to wait to the very end of the clock to find out whether or not we got school on Monday well I think they're going to have to work through the weekend John but the great thing about it there has been right it's not been a complete standstill so I'm actually optimistic I think that they are going to strike a deal and I'll put that out there Okay, we're having a bit of a signal problem with Courtney. I'm not sure what kind of things we need to do to uh, fix that, but I think you've got a latency issue going. Okay, while we do that, Dave Trafford, your thoughts on this 5 p.m. Sunday ripcord deadline, whatever you want to call it. Glad you brought that up. I thought it was my ears for a second there. <laughs> well, he was going very Mr. Roboto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I know there's a five, uh, 5 o'clock deadline. That's sort of a line in the sand, but I think they can shift this sand one way or the other. So just because we get to 5 o'clock, it doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily have a strike or not a strike. They can extend it out depending on how the talks go. I mean, we've seen this this movie before. Um, I, I, I agree with Jerry, though. This puts a whole lot of, you know, grief and uh, stress in uh, families right across the province in terms of what do we do, what do we not do, how do we plan for um, remote learning, all that kind of nonsense. So... Um, but I, I, I tend to agree with uh, with Courtney also. I think that, that this is actually a positive based on anything we've seen to date, that the process is working its way through the negotiations. And uh, I would not be at all surprised if they if they do come to a, an agreement without a strike. What do we have to do to press the reset button at Oakville Trafalgar High School? I think it's not inconceivable that two days in a row there have been threats against the school, and it might be linked to a guy who wears large prosthetic breasts and teaches shop there. Uh, Dave Trafford, I'll start with you. So that's two lost days of education for bogus threats and vile emails. I think the issue here is uh, the the reasoning behind it. Clearly, the police are investigating what's going on, but it's not 
you know, we're, we're left to draw or connect those dots as we see fit. And so to, to make that connection between the, you know, the, the, the t-shirt with the prosthetics is, well, could that be the reason? Um, it, it, I think it creates a more dangerous situation rather than saying it does or it doesn't have anything to do with that circumstance. I think there needs Dave, to be a little bit of transparency around it. Dave, I believe that the threat did include mention of that individual. Right, but whether or not it was actually uh, a result of, I mean, whether there's more to it than that, that's all I'm saying. I, I think that there's a vague connection with it. That's all. All right, and I appreciate this is highly speculative, but as I said, Courtney Betty, it's not inconceivable. As a matter of fact, it's quite likely. Well, it, it is quite likely, John. And, um, you know, again, I looked at this whole element of the decision as to the school board fearful that there might be a human rights complaint and i just think that they're off base but it doesn't give anyone the right to be making bomb threats especially with this you know so many things going on right now in these schools i just think it's so totally wrong and i know well, this is your favorite board jerry well yes they are um unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately some of them got in by acclamation so there wasn't enough uh, exercise against all of this among the public um who could have run but uh, it's interesting to hear courtney who's a lawyer say that he thinks the board is wrong about the human rights uh, complaint potential. And uh, Sunira Chaudhry, who specifically is a labor lawyer, had a column in the Toronto Sun where she said, as far as she knows, they didn't even consult any labor lawyers. They just imagined they might have a human rights complaint. Uh, the, the Halton board doesn't seem to be populated by a lot of real deep thinkers. Well, it's too bad there's no avenue of appeal or so or no means of taking this to the next station because it's a ridiculous state of affairs. It is a ridiculous state of affairs, but uh, the Halton board seems to have decided to stand behind ridiculous. Okay, do we actually take these numbers seriously? They uh, they have mapped out where the most aggressive drivers are in the province of Ontario. It has much more to do with how many people actually collected a ticket. But the worst and most aggressive place apparently is North York, followed by Hamilton, Brampton, in Mississauga, Scarborough, Brantford, Etobicoke, Toronto, Kitchener, and London. Uh, Dave Trafford, this could just be statistical foofery. No, I think it's actually a part of the way we, we look at uh, car insurance. I mean, most of us would say uh, North York, Scarborough, Etobicoke, uh, Toronto, that's all Toronto. So it's how we are uh, judged as drivers vis-a-vis -vis our, our insurance. So the, the likelihood is that, you know, the insurers are going to ding you more just because of where you live. Um, that's, the, that's the data that they're collecting here. The, uh, and that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think that since COVID, people are way more aggressive on the road. Um, because there's more traffic now, perhaps they're they're more impatient about getting to places where over the last two years, um, you know, the roads were pretty much a freeway where you could just kind of come and go as you pleased and. You were, you were a half hour trip was actually a half hour trip, not a, an hour and a half trip. So it doesn't surprise me that Toronto uh, would be the most uh, aggressive spot in the place for driving. Um, at lunch, I'll be on my way to Yorkdale to have lunch with Barb DiGiulio. So get out of my way. There you go. And not, and not on your motorcycle. You, you, you'll, be in my you'll be in my neighborhood, Jerry. And I, you know, I'm shocked in terms of North York. But yeah, you know, just what Dave said, the, the, the drivers have become so aggressive now on the roads. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a major change. But I'm still going to say that, hey, North York, we're not as bad as, uh, as maybe they're saying that we are. Now, here's another 
topic where the issue is being advanced quite significantly, but I'm not sure if there's much new to say about it. So maybe we can dispense with it quickly. Uh, Jerry Agar looks like the National Capital Commission is ready to condemn 24 Sussex. Doesn't mean they're bringing in the wrecking ball, but it is moving to the next station, which is they're going to put the key in the door, turn the heat down to 10 degrees and walk away. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think I heard you say this morning you're okay with it as well. It's a building. Um, let's not get all mushy and attached to a building. I'm not even sure if we need it, really. Why do we need a great big residence for the prime minister? I don't know. Well, there you go. If the answer is, I don't know, then we don't need it. Yeah, but it, it is customary in a lot of jurisdictions. Uh, so Courtney, what? Courtney Betty, I don't know if you've ever seen the place. I have uh, given accounts of it in the past, and it's kind of like an unmaintained old dump. Um, very much. In some ways, uh, not as, you know, uh, way beyond Queen's Park, but Queen's Park had similar challenges. But at the end of the day, the prime minister does have a nice cottage. So um, to Jerry's point, let's figure out a way that we can get the staff comfortable and safe. Um, but does the prime minister have to live there? Not necessarily. Dave Trafford? Can't believe it's taken seven years just to figure out that they have to turn the heating and the electricity off yeah. or and get the asbestos out of there. I mean, do you follow it was, government? You know, <laughs> well, no, I mean, seriously, though. I mean, I was in high school and, and asbestos was a bad thing. So come on. <laughs> you know, people have been living in that thing for 40 years and all of a sudden we determined that maybe we should shut it down. Yeah, you're right. Have you follow government? Yeah. What do you make of this uh, investigative report, which actually involved a team of three reporters, it appears, in the Toronto Star? It doesn't open openly accuse anybody of skullduggery, but the suggestion is that some people may have had an insider knowledge when they bought property that would later be rezoned and out of the green belt. Uh, Courtney Betty. Um, it's, it's such a touchy issue, John, because what we're using right now, we're using our housing, our housing crisis to potentially rationalize behavior, and I'm, and I'm saying potentially rationalize behavior, where individuals had insider information bought properties that really are already protected. And if you look at all the challenges we're having right now with the environment and all of those, um, certainly something went off the rails and there should be some form of an investigation, right? We, we, we just can't allow a situation where because you're going to donate to a party and it's not the conservatives or liberals, it carries for both of them, then you're going to be able to have insider information as to what is going to happen in the future. Dave Trafford, even though he vowed in the election in 2018 that he would not reopen the green belt, Doug Ford was caught telling a closed audience that he did actually think he might one day open the green belt. So maybe they just laid their bets. Well, it, maybe they did, but I mean, uh, how much of that, what else went on behind closed doors? And I think we're left to sort of speculate on that or, or make those connections as it is. But just just looking at the way things have happened in public, you know, to look at somebody who went out and spent $80 million to buy a parcel of land in September, the deal closed. Now, keeping in mind, it takes a long time for that kind of deal you know, to go through all the hoops and the paperwork and the legal and all that sort of thing. But uh, to have it happen, you know, less than six weeks before all of a sudden the province says, oh, by the way, you could develop on there uh, where up until then you weren't able to do it. So, uh, you know, how do you behave in public? How do you behave behind closed doors? We have seen the premier in both circumstances say, uh, I'm going to open it up behind closed doors. And then quite boldly after the election say, we heard you, we aren't going to touch the green belt. And now he's touching the green belt. It's really hard perceptually to think that there isn't something that, that doesn't pass the sm a sniff test here. Yeah. Uh, but throwing out allegations of sort of insider trading is easy. It's 
probably not uh, easy to prove. It gets proved, then um, we we take action on that. That's not acceptable. If it's speculation, well, that's that's life in the development world. We need housing, and I thought Brian Lilly did a good job because he did something the rest of us hadn't done, and that is that he actually went out and looked at some of these parcels of land uh, and stood there, and he has a report in the Toronto Sun about it, and he's saying, you know, there's some of those places. You'll look at it, and you would think, this is part of the Green Belt. This is protected territory because it's surrounded on three or four sides by development. So uh, we need houses. So you can have sprawl or you can have intensification and rapidly increasing prices as we've experienced. You got you to make choices. Yeah, but I, I told Totally agree with you, Jared, but that's not the issue, though. The issue is, did individuals have information, whether through lobbyists or others, that made a investment in these properties? There's no doubt that there are areas that should be turned into housing. It's just the process that we're talking about. Thank you all. We'll uh, stop it there. I was going to ask you if you've all posted your farewells on Twitter, but we're kind of out of racetrack. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.